Project Rescue is rooted in the history of this ancient land. For a thousand years, there have been girls trafficked out of the tribes of Nepal to the harems of the kingdoms of India. In India, women are not considered equal. They're considered, in many cases, children of a lesser god. Fifteen years ago, Project Rescue was born in Bombay, India. Now in Europe and in the Middle East and in Asia, Project Rescue is impacting this generation of young women who have been sold into sexual slavery and forced prostitution. And this today is where we are, giving value to little girls born in brothels, giving value to the girls who are not considered valuable, but God considers them valuable. They're His daughters. The key to rescuing women and children from sexual slavery is relationships. Because of this relationship that we've been building, they'll open the home for us to come and teach us Bible studies. The customer would come, the rotten owner would tell the customer, you wait, they're having a Bible study. You know, just like we are being part of their life, we are there to help them. <laughs> When a woman or a child is rescued out of the red light district and comes into a project rescue home of hope, she begins to get the medical, the physical care she needs over a period of time. But she's also given an education, vocational training, and preparation to begin a new life in Jesus Christ. Prevention has been a key part of Project Rescue strategy from the very beginning. There are trainings to help people in the local church realize what is happening Whenever any little daughter of a woman in the red light district is given to us to have a new life in a home of hope, that's prevention. Yesterday, we just completed our first ever conference in the city of Delhi. Over 80 leaders, church leaders, came together for the first time to hear about this huge need. We are going to see thousands of women and children find freedom and new life in Jesus Christ. It's quite easy to physically rescue a woman or a child from the brothel. It's another thing to take them out of that and bring them into new life where they have a chance for a new future in Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a part of the solution, getting beyond talking to action. Thank you. Let's give the glory to God. Amen. Project Rescue in the Assemblies of God, in the ministry, in the kingdom of God. Uh, we all have our heroes, and uh, two of mine are here this morning, David and Beth Grant. Uh, David and I graduated from the same Bible college. Uh, we didn't go to school together. I think uh, he was smarter and graduated before me. I went to school with his sister. Uh, yeah, one of our cheerleaders, and uh, I have followed their ministry down through the years. Uh, 
Beth is one of our national executive presbyters in the Assemblies of God. So we, we have two mighty leaders, uh, ministry uh, reps that are here this morning, and we just thank the Lord that God has graced us with the opportunity to be influenced and exposed to their vision and their ministry. Right now, I want you to put your hands together and give a mighty lakeside welcome to David and Beth Grant. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. In your hand is a bulletin and a faith promise card. And I'm going to talk about that because I'm a fanatic about faith promises. I made my first faith promise at 12 years of age. $10 a week, $520 a year. And I want to talk about that for a moment. But I'm a preacher's kid from Pensacola, Florida. Saved 150 times. <laughs> My dad's favorite sermon was the rapture. Jesus is coming tonight. And nobody's going. <laughs> the only hope they gave us is if you will come to the altar right now. You might have a chance. So we went to the altar in every service. Dad preached against television. Television, he said, is like a commode sitting in your living room, flushing sewage in the minds of your children. So we had to go to the deacon's house to watch TV. When the kids got together to have games, the only game we knew how to play was church. And I was the preacher. Our cat died, and I preached him right into heaven. It was such a wonderful funeral. We dug him up the next day and did it all over again. The third day we dug him up, Mama caught us. She said, bury that cat and leave him in peace. We cried because we heard a cat had nine lives, and our cat only got three funerals. Dad had a big garden, all kind of animals, chickens. One night we had a water baptismal service. On Monday, my brother said to me, the chickens aren't going to heaven. They haven't been baptized. I said, I will baptize the chickens. We couldn't find a water, but Dad had a big container of gasoline beside the house. Dad came home, and all the chickens were laid out dead. He shouted, who killed the chickens? We said, we didn't kill them. We baptized them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and God took them to heaven. That was my childhood. And missions and missionaries was our life. Just like right here at Lakeside, you're supporting over 200 missionaries and projects that we're going to talk about this morning. Missionaries stayed in our home. Instead of television, we had missionaries, real live missionaries, who told stories till midnight around our dining room table. One missionary named Charles Greenaway came to my dad's church when I was 12 years old. He told the story of a 12-year-old boy that had no money to put in the missionary offering at the end of the service, just like we're going to receive today. And when they passed the offering pan, this 12-year-old boy took the offering pan and said, Jesus, I don't have any money, but you can have me. And he laid the offering pan on the floor, and he stood up in it. And the missionary said that was the greatest missionary offering, a 12-year-old boy standing in an offering pan. And when the offering pan comes by you this morning, it's not a pan this morning. 
But it's important that you step in. Not so much that you're standing in it, but that you take your life and place it in the offering and say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Use me. Give through me. Pray through me. Work through me. Let me be an instrument in the hands of God. So at the age of 12, at the end of Brother Greenaway's sermon, when they passed the offering pan, I said, if that other little boy can do it, so can I. And I took that offering pan, I laid it on the floor, and I stood up in it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my 12-year-old heart and said, David, I want you to go to India. From the time I was 12 until today, I have spent 45 years in India. 45 years. And it has been the most glorious time. My wife and I will be leaving tonight for Spain. Spain is one of those brothel countries where over a million men a day purchase prostitution services, where African girls are being trafficked into Europe, where the refugees from the Middle East are flooding, sweeping across the shores of Europe, vulnerable, fragile refugee camps that are very vulnerable to traffickers. So pray with us tonight as we go to Spain and other countries where the trafficking is so strong. In your bulletin, it reads on the front page, if you haven't read it yet, sex trafficking is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. The fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. Two million children exploited every year in commercial sex trade. Michigan is one of the top five states in America for human trafficking. I think we need just to stop and say, Lord, stretch your hand out across our state, our city, our community. Let our church, Lakeside Assembly, be a shadow of life. May we see a miracle in the state of Michigan. Would you lift your hands and let's pray that prayer. Lift them up and say, Lord Jesus, across our state, our city, our community, let the healing hand of God, let the healing hand of God touch every child, every young person, every man, every woman. Bring revival, awareness, conviction, power, and deliverance and liberty. In the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now in the scripture, John chapter 14 and verse 1, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. A place. And I want you to walk out of this service this morning saying, David Grant said, There is a place. For me, in God's family, in God's kingdom, in God's work, there's a place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place, a place, a place that where I am, you will be there also. There's a place at Lakeside Assembly for your ministry, for your life, for your family. This is Father's house. This is Father's house. Father's house, a place of healing, a place of acceptance, a place of new beginnings. Amen? Hallelujah. There's a place for you. There's a place in God's family for you. There's a place of investment. There's a place of intercession. There's a place 
of ministry that no one can feel but you. No one, no one can do what God has called you to do in the next few minutes. No one. At 12 years of age, I made a faith promise, $10 a week, $520 a year. At 16, my faith promise was $25 a week, $100 a month, $1,200 a year. At 17, I was traveling as a full-time evangelist. And I said, God, I want to give you 13 years from 17 to 31 that you get every day and every dollar of my life. I will not marry till I'm 30. I will give you every day. I will not even take an apartment. I will go to India, and I did it 22. And I will give you every dollar until I'm 30 years old. I averaged giving $400 a week, $20,000 a year for 13 years. Didn't have a wife, so I didn't have a bill. Didn't have any children, so I had no indebtedness. And then it, just before I turned 30, I was preaching a youth camp in Pennsylvania, and I met the girl who had become my wife. She and her first husband were administering in Philadelphia, Wilmington, Delaware. At a youth camp in Pennsylvania, I was preaching, and Brian and Beth were leading the worship. We became great friends. I left that camp and went back to India for a year. Six weeks after that camp, Brian was killed in an accident at 25 years of age. And Beth, the girl that I would marry, became a widow at 25 years of age. I came back from India a year later. Someone told me of Brian's death and that Beth was still at First Assembly of God in Wilmington, Delaware, and that she was the minister of music and the minister of youth and the principal of the school. And I phoned Beth, and I said, I just heard that Brian died a year ago, and I'm so sorry. How are you doing? And I'll never forget her answer. She said, there's sadness, there's grief, but there's peace. Brian belonged to God, and I belong to God. She said, We're like current. our lives are like currency in the hands of God. He can spend us as he pleases. I was so captured by that sense of abandonment, because most of us, our world is... This is my life, my money, my house, my car, my wife, my husband, my children, my grandchildren, my dreams, my ministry, mine, 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 mine. And suddenly I'm listening to a young widow say, nothing's mine, it's all God's. The following year I phoned her just as a friend, but the phone calls became more numerous. In fact, there were 200 phone calls that year. And one night I was praying, I said, God, I'm almost 31 years old. I'm willing to give you every day and every dollar for the rest of my life for missions, but if you ever want me to get married, how about Beth? And God spoke to me, that's the one. I grabbed the phone and called my dad. I said, I'm getting married. He said, to whom? I didn't even know you were going with anybody. I said, I never have gone with her. What is she like? She's wonderful. What does she look like? Beautiful. But I haven't seen her in two years. The last time I saw her, she was married to somebody else. He said, I'll be praying for you. I hung up with Dad, and I phoned Beth, and I said, Beth, could I take you to lunch tomorrow? She said, sure. I was 2,000 miles away. I flew in the next morning and took her to lunch and proposed. I said, I know this is going to sound strange, but we've had 200 phone calls. We know each other real well. I said, but I love you. I prayed through about it. It's God's will. I'm going to marry you. She said, you're entitled to your opinion. I said, I'm leaving for India tonight. I'm going to be gone for six months of crusades. But when I come back, I'll be coming back to ask you your answer. And I don't want to 
I don't want you to write to me. I want to write to you. Because I need to build a foundation with you that you can learn to love and trust again since Brian's death two years ago. So I wrote her every day for 180 days. Flew back from India six months later. Said, what do you think? She smiled and she said, I believe this is God's will. I said, amen. I'll not put you under pressure, but 10 weeks from now, you and I are scheduled to be back in India for crusades. And if you don't go, I'm not going to go and thousands of people will die and go to hell. But there's no pressure on you. Nine weeks later, we were married. And a week later, we were in India. And I stood in front of 10,000 people and said, I want you to meet my wife who is a widow. And a shock went through that crowd. A widow. A widow. A widow. He married a widow. I mean, 10,000 people were talking. Finally, they settled down. The service went on. After service, the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God of India came and said, David, you've been with us nine years in India, and you still don't understand our culture. In our world, in a Hindu-Muslim world, a widow never remarries, and no one would marry a widow. Her life is over. In our world, the only identity that a woman has is her father, her husband, and her son. Women don't count. And you have married a widow, which is never done in a Hindu-Muslim world. It would be better if you never, ever spoke again of her being a widow. I said, well, I'm speaking to the pastors tomorrow. Oh, he said, you can share with them. The next day, I opened my Bible in front of hundreds of pastors and said, I know that our culture considers an orphan cursed because he has no father. But God says, I am the father of the fatherless. And I know that our culture says that a widow is cursed when she loses her husband. But God says, I'll be the husband to the widow. I will be her protection. I'll be her covering. I'll be her defender. I'll be her identity. And when God gives his identity to an orphan, he says, I am the father of the fatherless. I am the husband of the widow. I am the one who steps in the human world and intercedes and intervenes. I am the protector. I am the defender. Something wonderful happened. Something wonderful happened that day. 38 years ago, it changed the church in India. A widow became somebody wonderful, wonderful. And orphans became embraced. And then God gave us two daughters. And in India, when a boy is born, there's a celebration. When a girl is born, there's weeping. Millions of little girls are aborted just because they're girls. A million little girls are suffocated at birth just because they're a girl. And a million little girls have been sold into slavery. The value of a little girl is only a couple of hundred dollars. The value. But in the eyes of God, as you saw in the video, God, they are God's daughters. And I'm grateful with my wife that God gave us two daughters. Our daughters met Mother Teresa in Calcutta. Years later, Jennifer, when she finished her nursing training, went back to Calcutta for a few days to work at Mother Teresa's home for the destitute and dying. Our older daughter 
went back to India as a missionary, working with little girls, risk of the brothel. She was in the video. And now our daughter and our son-in-law and two grandkids are in India as missionaries. God uses young women and young men. And today you're going to be able to give a faith promise to send hundreds of young couples to the mission field. You're going to be able to give a faith promise that will make all the difference in the world to the projects that your church supports like Project Rescue. And at the end of the service, you're going to be able to give a love offering to create a place of safety, a place of salvation, a place of restoration for thousands of little girls around the world. Today is an opportunity, a faith promise. What is a faith promise? A little five-year-old girl wrote on her faith promise, 25 cents a week. And she wrote beside it, my daddy will pay this for me. My daddy will pay this for me. And I thought, amen, honey. You have got it. This is my father's business. There's a place. When Jesus said, I go to a prayer place, there's a place in this family at Lakeside Assembly for you. There's a place of investment. There's a place of intercession. There's a place in the family. Because when you come into the family of God, you come into the Father's business. The Father's business that none should perish. That none should perish. That none should perish. That's my Father's business. I hear 12-year-old Jesus saying to his parents, I've got to be about my Father's business. And what is your Father's business? The saving of souls. The liberation of the captive. The setting free of the bound. And the bringing of life where there's death. The transforming of dark communities into communities of light. The establishment of a rescue shop at the doorway to hell. That's my Father's business. And when I make a faith promise this morning, when I take that faith promise in my hand, I am simply saying, Father, this is your business, and I'm in business with you. You say, but David, who am I to, what am I to give? Whatever God's Holy Spirit tells you to give. But what I want you to know is that the need is impossible. Therefore, God asks us to do the impossible. And that is to allow his Holy Spirit to flow through us and to work through us. And I'm asking you to make a faith promise that does not reflect your bank balance, but God's bank balance. I'm asking you to say, God, I'm in business with you, and this is what I want you to do through me. You say, but Dave, what if it comes in? What if it doesn't come in? You're off the hook. But what if it does? What if you take a step of faith? And what if God does something so miraculous? What if it does? But if you didn't take the step, if you never stepped out of the boat, you'd never walk on the water. If you never take a step of faith, you can be assured of failure. You're absolutely comfortable that you will fail. But if you step out of the boat, you might sink. But I'm going to tell you this. He's there to pick you up like he did Peter and say, come on, son, let's walk together. I would rather seek and God rescue me than not even try. I would rather say, God, let me take a chance to see a miracle like has never been happened before. I challenge you this morning. I challenge you to be a part of intercession 
as well as investment. That God does some of the miraculous things through you. We all open a Teen Challenge Center in Bombay. Now the city of Mumbai. There's 21 million people in the city of Mumbai. 21 million people. We discovered 100,000 girls in the red light district. And God spoke to our hearts. And Project Rescue was born. We walked through the red light district and looked at the faces of 12-year-old girls who had been gang raped, brutally beaten into submission, provocatively dressed, heavily made up, with their eyes like dead people, inviting men into the brothels, and their eyes were dead. Something dies inside of them. And God spoke to us and said, I gave you two daughters. Now I want to give you thousands of daughters. And God has begun to rescue those girls and give them a place of safety, salvation, and new beginnings. The first night, saying to the young women in the brothels, what can we do? They said, take our daughters to a place of safety. A place of safety. A place of safety. We opened our first shelter. They gave us 37 little girls. A madam walked out of the door of one of the brothels with a three-year-old and said, you can have this little girl. She has AIDS. Her mother died today of tuberculosis at the age of 19. We took the little three-year-old. We had a wonderful spirit-filled Indian doctor who would come and treat our children with medical care. Pastors from Bombay would come and pray over our children. Women from the churches would come and mother them. 37 little girls was our first place. Now we have scores of places in several nations. But that time, there's only one place. And in that place, God began to do miracles. Six months after we opened that home of hope, our doctor called me and he said, David, in 30 years of medical practice, I've seen many miracles, but the one I saw today was the best. I tested the little three-year-old's blood, and there's not a trace of the AIDS virus in her body. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus has stretched out that hand that is not short, bowed down that ear that is not heavy, and heard our prayers. Today we have homes for children, for we're girls and women and for boys, but we have an AIDS home just for girls with AIDS. And when you go there, a little girl will take you with a hand and say, come let me show you my place, my place. She'll take you to a cot and say, this is my bed. Nobody sleeps here but me. This is my place. And she'll open the cupboard and say, this is where I keep my stuff. This is my place. Her place before was under her mother's bed in the brothel. Now she has a safe place. A place where Jesus is real. A place where healing is possible. Where miracles are part of her life. When I think of faith promises, I think of those little girls who have experienced a miracle, an impossible miracle, because he is a God of miracles. And this morning in your offering, we're going to create a place, a place. You saw Devaraj on the video, Bible studies in the brothel. The brothel owner says you have to wait a few minutes. The girls are having a Bible study in a brothel. What incredible. We are transforming brothels into house churches. <coughs> we have a red light district church where hundreds of girls come. 
and find freedom in Jesus Christ. When you leave today, there are three books on a table out in the missions table. Beyond the Soil Curtain was available two years ago when I was here. And on the back of Beyond the Soil Curtain's book, it reads like this. 15-year-old Sumi peels back the Soil Curtain of her stall on Falkland Road in Bombay's Red Light District. She watches the customer pay them at them. For Sumi, this is her ninth customer of the day. When she has complied with his sexual demands, she'll be released to attend a church service conducted by Project Rescue. Fifteen-year-old Sumi, her story is in this book. Beth and I stood at a graduation one day when a young woman walked across the platform to receive her Bible college degree. Everybody started crying and cheering, and the director said, You don't recognize her, do you? I said, No, I don't. He said, She's in your book. She's the girl who was so violently assaulted in the brothel, her mind snapped. She escaped from the brothel stark naked, running through the streets of Bombay, red light district like a wounded animal. Found, brought to a place of safety. God healed her mind, healed her body, called her to the ministry. And here she was graduating from Bible college, preparing to go back in the red light district as a missionary. Beyond the soil curtain. Not what's behind it, what's beyond it. Please pick up this book out there. There's a second book called Beyond the Shame, Project Rescue's Fight to Restore Dignity to the Survivors of Sexual Slavery. The last great stronghold is shame. How do I tell somebody I was born in a brothel? How do I tell somebody I have no father? How do I tell somebody who I am? But Jesus deals with the shame, not only in India, not only in Spain, but right here in Lakeside Assembly. He's the God who shatters shame. My wife's most recent book that has just come out, it's called Courageous Compassion. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on Amazon anywhere, but there's a copy in the book table. Courageous Compassion, Confronting Social Injustice, God's Way. You can pick up all three of those books for a $15 donation on the table. Or you can order them off the Kindle when you go home today. Become a part of the solution to bring freedom to millions, not only in the state of Michigan, but to India, Nepal, Asia, Africa, Latin America. God is calling us today to be liberators, liberators, abolitionists of slavery, a new beginning in Jesus Christ. One young woman stood in our red light district church and she said, you can see the scars in my body, but you can't see the scars in my mind. My memories were like jagged glass until Jesus washed my blood and then he washed my memories. He said the mem she said, the memories are still there, but they are not jagged any longer. They are healed. Four years later, my wife and I watched at that young woman's wedding to a young minister because he's the God of new beginnings. He's the God who takes shattered, broken dreams and puts them back together. And in this service right now, God wants to do that for you. A little seven-year-old girl came in, uh, brought in out of a brothel. Her mother died, and she was brought to the home of hope, seven years old. No one claimed this little daughter. Disease had racked her body. 
her arms and legs as big as my finger. The doctor said, she's dying. Beautiful little seven-year-old, big, big dark eyes. Gave her heart to Jesus. I became her adopted uncle. Came time for me to leave. I took her in my arms. I said, honey, Uncle David's got to go. I'll be back in a few weeks. I'll see you then. She said, no, Uncle David, I won't be here when you come back. I'll never see you again. Tears ran down my face. She reached up and brushed the tears off my cheek and said, don't worry about me, Uncle David. I've got Jesus. He's all I need. I sat her down on the floor and got on the plane and flew out of that city. Everywhere I went, I asked past people to pray for that little girl. I struggled with faith for that little girl. I flew back to India, stepped out of the airport, and that little girl came screaming down the sidewalk. Uncle David, I swept her up in my arms and said the stupidest thing I've ever said. I said, honey, what are you doing here? I was stunned. And I'm embarrassed to say I was stunned. She looked at me almost reprovingly and said, Uncle David, Jesus has healed me. Jesus has healed me. Jesus has healed me. Where is our faith? Sometimes we struggle, even in your faith promise. You struggle with faith, but Jesus is still real. Jesus is still saying, I want to put a place of safety in a hundred nations of the earth. I want to send missionaries. I want to send people to transform their world and bring liberty and freedom and deliverance. The little girl that I was holding my arm, she said, Uncle David, Jesus has healed me and I've been adopted by a Christian family. I have a new mother and I have a daddy for the first time in my life. I have a father. He's the God of new beginnings. He's the God of new beginnings. But he has a place for you. First of all, he wants a place in your heart. Would you take your right hand and put it over your heart and pray a prayer with me? Would you say these words with me? Say them with me. Lord Jesus, you created a place in my heart just for you. Would you come this morning and feel that place that Jesus will live in my heart. With my heart I believe. With my lips I confess. Jesus Christ is my Savior, my healer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now lift your hands with mine and say, Lord, these hands are your hands. The same hand that can bruise can bless. The same hand that can hurt can heal. And I declare these are healing hands. These are blessing hands. These are hands that will bring freedom, liberty, and joy to a broken-hearted generation. For these are the hands of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Your faith promise this morning is going to make a difference. In a few moments, pastor will describe it to you. Children will walk down these aisles with a missionary or a project placard around their neck, waiting to be adopted 
and invested in. One of those children will have David and Beth Grant's name on it. I sure hope somebody adopts us this morning. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful? It is 1125, and we're about to take one of the most significant moments in the history of Lakeside Assembly. We're about to take a step of miraculous faith. We're going to say, God, you are in the business of sending missionaries that you have called around the world, and we are going to invest in them. Lord, you have reached in and rescued thousands of little girls, and we are going to make a place for them. When you go by the book table, pick up a brochure. It's called Project Rescue. We exist to rescue and restore victims of sexual slavery through the love and power of Jesus Christ. What is important about this is it's not just awareness about what's happening in Michigan. It's not what's so important. It's not what's America, happening in America or in India. It's about the potential of the total transformation of a girl's life. As my wife said on the video, it's not about talking. It's about doing. It's about deliverance. It's about a new beginning in Jesus Christ. It's about a girl who has been shattered learning how to dance for Jesus Christ in joy and freedom. Amen. Sweetheart, would you stand? This is my wife, Beth, and I'm so glad that I could. she's here with us this morning. Thank you so much. We will celebrate 39 years of marriage in December. We have two wonderful daughters, two wonderful son-in-laws, but the best thing in the world, we have four grandchildren. Judah is two and a half. He's in India. We FaceTimed him yesterday. Papa! Mimi! And he started talking about all kind of stuff. And he's got a baby sister, Ella Grace, who's four months. And then our daughter Jennifer, who's a nurse, and her husband Jonathan, who's working with Project Rescue. They have a little two-year-old girl named Gemma. And they have a little five-month-old little girl named Madison. Four grandkids. I remember when I went to India, my dad sent me with joy. He prayed over me at the Pensacola Airport 45 years ago. Pled the blood over me, the plane, and everybody that rode the plane. He prayed out loud. 400 people could hear him. I got on the plane and a man sat down beside me and said, was that your dad? I said, yes. He said, I haven't heard a prayer like that in 25 years. He said, my dad used to plead the blood over me. But he said, for 25 years, I've been away from God. But when your dad started pleading the blood over you, it all came back. And I gave my heart to Jesus Christ a few moments ago. The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over your family. Would you take a moment, lift your hands and say, Father, I plead the blood over my children, my grandchildren, my family, my parents, my brothers, my sisters, my community, my state, the little girls in India, the girls in Spain that Dave and Beth are going to tonight. I plead the blood of Jesus, salvation 
deliverance, and freedom. In the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. When I went to India, Dad was delighted. When Beth and I married and went to India, he was delighted. When Rebecca was born and I took a little three-week-old granddaughter to my dad's church for him to dedicate, he looked at the little girl and said, You're not taking her! <laughs> India's a terrible place! I could go, Beth could go, but not the granddaughter. And it spooked me. And I said, Lord, are we foolish? And the Lord spoke to me and said, Did you really give your daughter back to me? I said, I really did. God said, then you take your daughter on to India because I don't change when you cross an ocean. I'm the same God there that I am here. And the safest place for your daughter is the center of God's will. And we dried our tears and took a little girl on to India. Now that she's there with her husband and her children. But I have to confess, when they left a month ago with a little three-month-old granddaughter, I want to say, not her! Y'all can go, but you leave her with Grandpa. I confess, it was a tough moment. When the offering pan comes by today, step in. Put your family in the offering pan. Put your life in the center of God's will. And the safest place for you is exactly where God wants you. Exactly. Would you lift your hand and say, Father, I'm here at Lakeside Assembly to take care of your business, to invest, to intercede, to give, and to see miracles take place. Come, Pastor, and pray over us, would you? God bless you.